drive, they watch, they cheer, they leave, and they wait till next week. Followers, they practice every day. They learn, they take the hits, they sacrifice. This world is full of fans. Will you be more? Do you have what it takes to follow, to step onto the field? Let's do this. Well, hello, Heritage. Want to welcome all of you. If you're a guest with us, especially glad you're here. We are one church in multiple locations, and this weekend we are broadcasting live from our Bettendorf campus. Want to give a shout out to our crew at Rock Island and those joining us online. My name is Sean, and this is week seven of our Fan to Follower series, a journey where we're simply leveraging the sport of football to help us understand how we live as true followers of Jesus and not simply fans. Now, next week, we're going to wrap it up with a big celebration involving worship and communion and baptism, so you're not going to want to miss that. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've not yet taken that next step of obedience into the waters of baptism, I encourage you to sign up this weekend to be able to do that next weekend. It's not too late. This has been a great journey through our Fan to Follower series, and, and I've loved seeing God work and move in and through it. But I've, I've got to be honest, I need to confess something. I've gotten a little bit of pushback from a few of our brothers and sisters who are baseball supporters. Their concern has been that we have been emphasizing football during the height of the baseball season. And, and out of a bit of mercy and pity for my baseball friends, especially many of them who are grieving the loss of the Cubs as we approach the World Series this week, I would like to take a moment and recognize a few fans and followers of baseball. Let's see if you can identify what they are. So let's take a look first at the first one here. Here we go. This guy is clearly a Red Sox supporter. Now, is he a fan or a follower? He is a follower. He is passionate. He's got all the markings of being a follower. In fact, he gives new meaning to the term baseball cap. And I've got to be honest, they, uh, sometimes followers look foolish, but it's always worth it. Here we go. Here's the next picture. What do you see here in this picture? These are fans. That person is fast asleep. The lady in front of her is reading, and I think the guy next to her is doing something else as well. These are fans, not engaged. They're doing something else, not participating, not, not passionate at all. Fans. All right, let's take a look at the next one here. Here we go. Now, in this picture, let me give you some, some background. We're looking at the guy kind of in the middle of the frame wearing the blue shirt on his phone. Did you see him there? Okay, now let's look at the next picture. He's down in the lower part of the frame. It's not as clear, but he's in the lower part of the frame, and he's now reaching out to catch a foul ball while still on the phone. All right, you see him? Okay, good. Let's go to the next picture. Here he is back in his seat, still on the phone, having caught the foul ball. Unfazed. Then with a little bit of style and swagger, he acknowledges to the crowd in this last picture that he actually did catch the ball. Now, you may want to push on me in this, but is he a fan or a follower? He's a, you know, he's a follower. He's able to be so focused on the baseball task at hand. He's a follower when it comes to baseball. He may be a bad husband because he's not paying attention to the conversation on the phone, but he's more a follower in my book in this case. But here we go. I think this next one might top it, though. Take a look at this. Let me, I'll just let you take it in. What do you see? You see a mom, baby strapped to her side, 
winning the fight for the foul ball. Is she a fan or a follower? She's a follower of baseball, although we might consider her a fan of parenting. I don't know. Just saying. I'm just saying. Okay, look, all right. We know there's a difference between a fan and a follower. Now that we got you warmed up, let's get back into the series, understanding how we move from simply being a fan of Jesus to being a follower of Jesus. So far in this series, each week, we've done a bit of a comparison, kind of a contrasting reality. And as we started, we realized that fans tend to be more selfish. They're more concerned than about themselves and what it means for them, but followers are more selfless. It's more about the team, more about the bigger realities. We also saw that fans are more like slaves, slaves to rules and slaves to religion when you're talking about spiritual realities. And, and followers are more like children. They're, it's marked by love and relationship, not rules and religion. And fans tend to focus more on the seen, the physical realities, where followers focus on the unseen, the spiritual realities of life. And then fans tend to be more consumers rather than contributors, and followers are those stewards and contributors. And they tend to be, as fans ask, where followers tend to listen. And if you've missed any of the journey to this point, you can go to heritageqc.com and you can catch up a bit on those comparisons and contrasting realities of fans and followers. But we've looked at focus and identity. We've looked at posture and ownership. And we've also looked at values. And this weekend, we're looking at influence. We're taking some time to understand what we should do with influence. Because as followers, as we've seen along the way, followers look actually more like players than fans in the stands. That they're not just people who come and observe. They're not simply cheerleaders. They don't just arrive and cheer and leave. They're, they're more like the players. They're, they're participants. They're like warriors on the gridiron, and they have significant influence and significant potential. Let's just look at what Jesus did. Jesus described his followers this way. He said, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. That's phenomenal that we would do what Jesus did when he was here on earth. And then he says, and then they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That's mind-blowing, that we can do what he has done but then do even more. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. The reality is, although we can do that, we often don't because we tend to live more like fans than followers. We tend to live down that left-hand column rather than the right-hand column. And when we do that, we don't live into the full potential that God has for us in life. We actually live lesser lives. But when we can get to the mindset of living as a follower and not a fan, then everything begins to change. Because followers, if you're following along your sermon note, guy, this is your first fill-in, followers of Jesus live in a best and better reality. Best and better. That when we choose to follow Jesus, being all in, we can know and live in the best that God has for us. Not just the mediocre stuff, not the ho-hum stuff, but the best. That we can live as Jesus lived. We can do the things that he did and even greater things. Which means the best is always yet to come for a follower of Jesus. It means the things that are messed up and broken in our life, they don't have to be that way. Those things can change. That a follower receives power and purpose. And they live in a progression. They live in a journey. In fact, let's think about it like this for a moment. All of us have a life, and we're in this life journey, and we're progressing through it. In the, in the context of the spiritual life, we can start as an attender, someone who is just checking things out, someone who's exploring, maybe seeking a little bit more of God, like, trying to figure what this thing looks like, and, and so we're an attender in the dynamic. And listen, if you're an attender here today, you're just kicking the tires, you're just checking things out, I am so glad you're here. 
I love it that you're here. I hope that you feel comfortable to kick the tires and look under the hood and, and explore the things of God. But I want you to know something, that God has more for you, that being an attender is not it. There's more. What he wants for you is to step into relationship with him as a believer. As a believer, a believer is someone who has made a profession of faith, that they believe in their heart and profess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's surrendering to Jesus, finding forgiveness, receiving the gift of eternal life, and beginning to walk with God. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing, and there is more to the journey, even as a believer. Because if, if, even if heritage is your home, church home, I hope that, that you've identified and stepped into the relationship that you can be in Jesus as a believer. But listen, the believer spot is not a destination. It's a launching pad. Because as a believer, we're to step into identity as a worker, someone who is no longer just living for ourselves, not just doing the spiritual stuff for our own good, actually living in a three, two, one dynamic. We've been talking about that, where God comes first, others ahead of ourselves, we come last. And it's in that posture that we serve. And that place of service isn't the destination either. We actually move into places of being an influencer. Someone who is making an impact in the lives of other people. Someone who is investing what we have learned and grown into so that others can be influenced. And listen, we all have influence. You have influence. Leadership is influence. We all have influence. We're not all necessarily leaders in the traditional sense and formal roles, but we all have influence. We've been positioned to have influence. And in the walk and journey and relationship with Jesus, being an influencer is one of those key steps because as an influencer, we then become somebody who's a multiplier. A disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. It's a multiplying disciple. This whole journey is what we call the spiritual transformation journey, and it is the means by which we move from fan to follower. It's a progression. It's the reason why Jesus allows us to do what he did and even greater things as we move through this process of a tender believer, worker, influencer, and multiplier. It was a couple of weeks ago that Jason helped us see how sometimes along this journey we stop. Where we can kind of get in there and explore and then we believe, but then we stop. And many people do that. But again, being a believer is not the destination. There's a whole next stepping process of what it means to be a worker, influencer, and multiplier. To live into our identity in Jesus. Even Jeremiah talked last week about how we shouldn't follow the crowd. The, the, the crowd is, is not the source of our leadership. It's Jesus, and we should lead like Jesus. In fact, Jesus is the one who described himself as a shepherd. And in, in Isaiah, we're described as sheep. Let's check this out for a second. It said, we, are, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. That is a reality for us, that we can be sheep, we can look like sheep, we can act like sheep. And we can, instead of moving through that progression, we can get lost along the way. And let me tell you, as a church family, we have classes called Discover Classes that move us along that progression of a tender to believer to worker to influencer to multiplier. And if you're looking for your next step, I'd encourage you to check out those classes. But without that progression, without the leadership of Jesus, without submitting ourselves to him, we can wander and we can go astray. Now, it may seem odd that in the midst of a hard, rough, and tough, smash-mouth metaphor like football that we'd be talking about sheep. But listen, when we live like a fan, we wander like sheep. When we don't live into that process from a tender believer to worker to influencer to multiplier, we stop short. We are sheep. And sheep are cute, but not always the brightest. And the reality is that sheep need care. Without a shepherd, 
Without that process, they become unhealthy. You may recall a few weeks ago, I, I shared the story of a sheep that was found after being lost in New Zealand. It was believed to have been lost and wandering astray for like six to seven years. This thing was so overgrown with its wool that it could barely see. And this was a health issue. It jeopardized its well-being and, and even threatened death because of it didn't have the care that it needed. It's a, it's a crazy story, but, but they brought in a, a, a champion sheep shearer to shear the sheep to save its life. It's a really wild story, but it's that wandering and going astray that was putting its life at risk. And in a similar way, we can go astray. When we don't walk through the journey, that spiritual transformation journey, we don't continue to move, we just kind of stop, we can end up carrying things we don't need to carry. We can end up carrying fear and regrets and shame. We can live as a slave and not a child. We can live as a consumer and, and not a contributor. When we go our own way like sheep, and when that happens, we need Jesus to shear us. We need him to set us free. But then, we need to become shepherds. We need to become shepherds because followers live as shepherds and not simply sheep. They become shepherds. See, a follower is not just a believer, doesn't stop at the bottom part of that journey. They're, they're to be a multiplier, a shepherd, free and not just forgiven. See, followers live as shepherds, not simply sheep. And so that spiritual transformation journey is not optional. It's really required. It's part of loving Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, if you love me, you will do this. You will live as a shepherd. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn with me to John chapter 21. This is a familiar story for many, but it's, it's how Jesus, we're going to see how Jesus talked to one of his disciples. His name was Peter. And, and, and Peter um, and the other disciples, they had after Jesus' crucifixion, gone fishing. They reverted to being fans. Jesus is now risen. He shows up on the beach. He invites them to breakfast. They have breakfast, and then Jesus has a conversation with Peter. And this is where we're picking it up in John 21 with uh, Jesus talking with Peter. He said that when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then he goes on to say, feed my sheep. Now there's a number of nuances in this passage. It's simply the, the, the way Jesus referred to Peter has some interesting layers to it, the names he used. There's also the parallels of three questions to Peter's three denials. Then there's the whole layers around the Greek words Jesus used for love in this. But I simply want to, in this moment, I want to recognize this, the, the basic reality that Jesus says, if we, or Peter, and it applies to us too, if we love him, we will be shepherds and not just sheep. We'll move through a process where we feed and care for his sheep, his people. Followers live as shepherds and not simply sheep. So that means that as followers, we invest in the journey of others. It's not just about us. We actually increasingly invest in the journey of others. It's not just for our spiritual edification. It's not just our spiritual growth, our experience. Those things matter, but they matter beyond us. And when Jesus said, look, we will do even greater things, those things are not self-serving. They're not about us. And we can't sit in the stands with some fan apparel on and expect that God is going to be pleased. Yet all too often, those who say they follow Jesus do exactly that. We sit in the stands, so focused on ourselves that we miss out on what God really has for us. 
Kind of like the baseball supporters who, who made national news recently. Let me just show you a clip from, from what this really was. Check this out. All right, so what do you see here? See a group of girls at a baseball game? How many of them are watching the game? None of them. What are they doing? They're taking selfies, eating churros. They're not engaged in the game at all. I think basically looking at the surf, you can say they're not followers. They may not even be fans because they're barely even there. And listen, listen, I know there's more to this story of why they were taking selfies and all of that. But I show it to you because sometimes we actually can be that in the spiritual life. Where we just show up. And all we end up doing is taking spiritual selfies, eating spiritual churros and spiritual hot dogs, looking at how spiritual we are, not having a clue to what's really going on in the spiritual reality. And we cannot sit in the stands like that and think that God is gonna be pleased. Now, there's more to that story on those ladies. And quite honestly, women are so beautifully complex they're multitasking, and I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if they knew exactly what was happening on in the rest of the stadium when the people five rows down the thing in front of them. That's how women can do that. But listen, when we reduce the spiritual journey to just sitting in the spiritual stands with some spiritual apparel and a spiritual churro and taking selfies, we miss the life God has for us, and he's not pleased. Yet the sum total of the spiritual life can be described for some of us just exactly that way. Where we arrive and we cheer and we leave. Fan activities. Where it all boils down to one day a week where we arrive and cheer and leave. But we can't just sit in the stands and think God's going to be pleased with that. Jesus is not simply looking for fans or seeking to attract a crowd. People matter to him. And he positions us to make a difference in the journey of others. John Ortberg says it this way. He says, God has entrusted us with his most precious treasure, people. He asks us to shepherd and mold them into strong disciples with brave faith and good character. Jesus is not simply looking for fans or attracting a crowd. No matter who you are, if you say you follow Jesus... He calls you to be a shepherd, a multiplier, one who invests in the journey of others. And if you still have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to or click to Ephesians 4. I want to read just a section of what Paul wrote and how it fits into the fan to follower journey. This is Ephesians 4, starting with verse 11. So Christ himself, that's pretty important. Jesus Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Listen, the goal is the fullness of Christ in all of us. And who gets to do that? We do. We participate in it, and we should be facilitating it as we serve. It is not just a clergy thing. It is not just for the professional. Pastors are on the list, but they are not the list. It's all of us in a journey for those who are followers, for us to walk on and become multiplying disciples, not simply fans where we equip God's people for works of service. The question is, how far will we go in that process? 
How far will we go in a tender believer, worker, influencer, multiplier? Will we go to the fullness of Christ in our life or will we stop short? How far will you go? When we don't go all the way, life is less. Sometimes it's because of resistance or even ignorance. We just don't know, didn't know I was supposed to do that. But not always. Often there are other distracting things that keep us from living into our divine purpose. It could be that we're mad at God because of a wound, something he allowed in our life. I'm like, I'm done, I'm stopping. I'm not going any further. It could be our own insecurity where we just don't think we can or it paralyzes us with fear where we've embraced a doubt or discouragement or despair and so we're, but that the enemy is thrown out there and now we're in fear, isolation, and victim mentality. There's lots of things that can distract us, yet followers invest in the journey of others. But that's a choice. So what I'd like to do now is I'd love to hear from one of our own. I'd like to invite my friend Margie to join me and I'd like to invite you and all at Rock Island, hoop it up and holler. Let's welcome Margie as she comes to talk with me. Hello, friend. Hello. Thank you for being part of our time today. Uh, you have been part of the Heritage family for like eight years. You are currently a leader in our Heartstrings ministry. You lead a call to prayer on Monday evenings. You are a leader on the church board, and you're involved in other areas. But you have not always been involved in that way. You haven't always been in places of influence like that. So could you tell us a little bit about your story and journey to this point? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I um, When I walked into the the doors of heritage. I came in as a wounded Christ follower. I, um, I loved the Lord a whole lot. I just loved him with all my heart, but I'd come from a church split at another church, and it just, I was just broken at that time, and I really, to be honest, didn't want to have anything to do with church. And, um, but then I, I found myself quickly into a home group that I just loved, and they just, it was such a great, safe place to be, and I loved these people, and they supported me. And I really needed that support because within a couple years, I found out that my son had cancer. He had uh, melanoma, uh, malignant, malignant melanoma brain cancer. And he came home to live with us, and for two and a half years, he struggled with the disease. And um, during that time, in the last half, year and a half, um, he came, he, his left side of his body was completely incapacitated and he couldn't get out of bed. And he was um, uh, in our care. Chris and I became his primary caretakers. And it was just such a hard place to be. I mean, it was just, it was just so hard to watch your son go through this and, and know the outcome wasn't going to be good. And, um, but I knew where to go for my strength. And I knew that um, God would be there for me. And so I had this precious time in every morning. And I would get up, and I would go to the, uh, this place in my house, and I would get, open up my Bible and read the Word and read Scripture. And God would just speak to me in such amazing ways, and he gave me such strength. Every single day, I would get a verse, and, I would, and he would uh, carry me through that day, and I would have verses to tell Tad. And, and he gave me the, the strength to do it. And he, not only that, but he, he, it, it was a time when I learned to really trust him with these truths that I'd been learning my whole life. I could trust him that, I, that Tad was going to be all right, that he was going to be in heaven, that I, that I could find the strength in the Lord and that I could get over the fear that I had. And all these truths that I had heard all my life became a reality. And what, that was just an amazing thing to, to discover about myself. And then um, in February of 2012, Tad passed away. But during that two and a half years, I saw all of his friends come through our house and through our lives. And most of them had no idea who Jesus Christ was. They had not heard about this wonderful man 
of Jesus. And um, my life verses, so uh, the one we say all the time, I've come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I wanted that for all these people, but I saw they weren't walking into churches. And so that resonates so much with me that we have to be sent um, because um, we just have to go and find these people that are out there hurting. And the other thing I learned is that life is, 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 we don't have a guarantee of our next day. We just don't. And uh, so nothing is guaranteed, but that's kind of where it started. And then Patty asked me to teach sometimes at Heartstrings, and, and I just felt this call. I had to tell my story, and, and that's where it began, where I started. So what I love about your story is in the midst of the complexities and pain and difficulties of life, you settled into God, your relationship with him changed, you went deeper, you became more comfortable in your relationship with him. But here's the thing, you're not wired naturally to be a person who is up front or speaks from the front or anything like that. So what led you to do what you're doing, to be a person who uses influence for Jesus as a shepherd, which is not part of your natural wiring for you? Yeah, no, I, I felt so unqualified to do that, to teach, to speak, and I, I, the fear just and anxiety just rose up in me, and I, I, I can't speak well, and I, I have an older brain that doesn't remember things very well, and so all these things, all these excuses that I had, but what that made me do is it made me just realize that I, um, I couldn't do it on my own, and so I just had to get down on my knees, I had to pray to God, I would ask him for help in all these times, and he he equipped me. I love this, this quote from Erwin McManus, and it says, do what you know you should do, and God will tell you what to do. He, he clarifies in the midst of obedience, not before. And I love that. I just knew I, what I had to do, and he would supply me with what I needed, and um, it only came about once I stepped out in obedience, and I, I love that. The other thing I learned about that is that there's just such freedom in that, because as you continue to just... Um, look to the Lord for his help, he supplies what you need, and the results are his. I'm not responsible for the results, and that's just a really free feeling. So uh, here's the thing. I know that as you have obeyed and lived in that freedom, that many lives have been impacted through that obedience, but how has intentionally living as a follower and shepherd impacted your life personally? Um, well, it's funny that you'd ask that because... Um, just within the last couple of weeks, I wrote a really good friend of mine a text, and I said, you know, I think I'm in one of the best places I've been in my whole life. And I really believe that, and I've tried to figure out what is it that's made me feel so good. And um, I came to the conclusion that I've been obedient to do the things he asked me to. He's always been nudging me to, to, go, to leave this prayer time. I wanted to pray with my brothers and sisters, and so I've been obedient to do that. And I was thinking last night in the middle of the night, this is new, Sean. <laughs> I was thinking that and I, I remember this, when I was a little girl, there was a show on TV, and it was called Romper Room. And there was this gal that looked through this little magic window, this glass, and, and she would say at the end of the show, I think her name was Miss Peggy or something, and she would say, and I see Susie, and I I see Joey and I see Mary and I just longed in my little girl heart to to say I see Margie out there and <laughs> she never did she never did but now I see God has called he's seen me and those little nudges that I've been get, getting are his nudges in my life and he's saying I see you Margie and this is what I want you to do and it's it's not only amazing to know that the King of Kings has done this for or is calling us out to do something but where the real change has been for me just recently is I've stepped into that obedience and I've really done those things that I feel he's calling me to do. And that's a really great place to be. Well, thank you for being a person who's willing to step in obedience, willing to use your influence in a way that God wants to, uh, even outside of your comfort zone. And thank you for being willing to be up here with me today. Would you give her a hand, please? Thanks. Thank
One of the cool things about Margie's story is that she was willing to give authority to Jesus. And that changes everything. That's huge. In fact, if you're still following along in your sermon guide, the next fill-in is exactly related to that. That when we place, where we place authority determines our identity. Where you and I place authority determines our identity. And that's what Margie did. She gave, gave authority to Jesus. And when we do that, that determines who we are and what we do. It's really our being and our doing. It's identity and purpose. And so if you have a little spot in your, in your sermon note guide, you can track this for a moment. But the reality is that who we are and what we do is determined by where we place, what place authority. And we can give that authority to God as the one who created us. He is creator of God. He made us. He gave us purpose. He has a plan for us. And, and we can give him authority as he desires. We could actually also give that authority to ourselves. We can say, you know what? I'm going to determine who I am and what I do. I'm not going to let anybody else influence that. I'm going to decide that. We could shift that to say that, you know, somebody else gets to do that, some other person. Others get to say, hey, well, I'm just, this is a place where we can actually be someone who's maybe codependent or, or someone who's, who's living in a maybe overly unhealthy dynamic where others are just telling us everything we need to do. We could also give that authority to organizations or, in this case, I'll just say government. And, and, and when we look at this dynamic of where we place our authority, because it determines our identity, it determines who we are and what we do, it really matters where we do that. Now, in God's design, he as creator God has given authority to Jesus. Colossians tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so he's given authority to Jesus. There's also authority in, in Scripture, the Bible. And in God's original design and intent, that he would have authority imparted to Jesus, that the Bible would also have authority, and that would then define who we are and what we do. So when we talk about what's happening in life and where we stand, this really becomes simply just the issue of where we place authority. It's, it's as God intended, would be there, which positions us to be a people who live in submission here. This is God's design. This is what a follower looks like because a follower places authority with God and lets God define their identity and they live in who they are and what they do out of the authority that they have given to God and God imparts authority for how they relate to others and how they relate to government. The problem comes is when we move authority. When we say, you know what, I'm going to give authority to myself. I'm going to determine who I am and what I, want and what I do. And the moment we do that, we ask God to submit to us and we're no longer following. In fact, it's always problematic when we place authority in the wrong hands. The favor of God comes in following God. But one of the things that, that burdens my heart as a pastor and as a person in this culture is that our country is moving authority, that people are moving authority. And every time we move authority, we mess with our identity. It changes who we are and what we do. In fact, it's so convoluted right now, it's so challenging and difficult that we're living in a season and a time in the world where authority has been moved so much that we are redefining sin. The moment that we move authority and say that we can decide what's right and wrong, then we start to mess with defining what sin is. And whenever we say that we can do this, then we no longer need a savior and Christ died for nothing. The heart of the problem is where we place authority. 
And there's lots of challenges when it comes to whether a government is living under the authority and whether others are living under authority. But the beauty of what it means to be a follower is that when we live three and two and one, there is a dynamic in this authority submission structure that allows us to relate to government and allows us to relate to people in a way that honors him because he gets authority. But whenever we move authority, we're no longer following. And I wonder, in this point and season of life for you, I wonder who has authority. I wonder where you have placed authority. Not where you want it to be or where you think it should be, but where it actually is. Who has authority in your life? It matters. It really is a key determining factor of whether you're a fan or a follower. Who has authority? Let's move this to a few quick so what's. One of them is that followers live last. Followers live last. And if you've been tracking our series, you know that we've been talking about three, two, one as opposed to living one, two, three. That, when we say three, two, one, we're saying God is first, then others, and us last. Most of the world lives the other way. We come first, others second, and maybe we get to God and the things of spiritual life. But we live three, two, one as a follower of Jesus. And you can check out previous messages to get more information on that. But we live last. It allows us to submit to God and then live in relationship with others in a manner that pleases him under his authority. We live last. The second thing we do is that followers receive authority. We receive it. We don't take it. The moment we take authority and start to move it, we're no longer following. And our identity starts to change. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, he commissioned them to teach and to have authority. And they went out and they taught people and they drove out demons and they healed people because they lived under the authority and power of Jesus. And authority determines our identity and purpose. And all authority rests with God. It's where it should be. And when we move it or we take it, we're not following. If we take authority, we create a dynamic where everyone loses. And we're a fan and not a follower. So followers receive authority. And finally, followers show they follow by how they handle influence. By how they handle influence. Right now, you have influence. No matter who you are, where you're at, where you're at in the stage of life, you have influence. It may be limited or may be significant. In fact, let's just do this. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and ask them to either shake your hand, high five you, or fist bump. Come on, Rock Island, get in on this as well. High five, handshake, or fist bump somebody next to you. Just turn to them and say, hey, give me a high five, handshake, or fist bump. All right? Good, good. Listen, look at, listen, you have influence. You, you just asserted it. it. Maybe you got somebody to give you multiple high fives or multiple fist bumps. Maybe somebody just looked at you like, I'm not playing that game. But you had influence, all right? And listen, I asserted influence from here when I asked you to turn. Look, we all have influence. And how we handle that influence matters. And it's designed for us to do it in a manner where God is first, others are second, and we come last. We don't promote ourselves with that influence. How we handle the influence matters. And followers show that they are followers by how they handle it. And if you don't know exactly where to go next in your influence and what steps to take, I want to encourage you again to consider a Discover Service class. It's one of the things we offer as a church to figure out where your next steps may be to continue to move in the progression that Jesus has for you. But as we look at this whole thing, Jesus is our example. And he uses a really cool metaphor that helps us understand, takes us back to the sheep reality. And I just want to read it to you. Here's what he said. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. This is why being a fan is not the goal. This is why being a believer is not the goal. This is why being a multiplier and a shepherd is what we're to be striving for. It takes an intentional journey. To, to grow someone who represents the owner of the flock well, it takes a journey. Yet every time we move authority, we redefine our identity, who we are and what we do. When we ignore those in need, when we change churches because we're just not happy, when we make it about us, we're moving authority. And we're no longer a follower, we're a fan. Fans and followers both have influence, but the impact of that influence varies greatly based on how we use it. And followers are empowered by the Holy Spirit. They focus on the master's sheep. They're not hirelings who run. They're not someone who takes spiritual selfies while eating spiritual churros to see how spiritual they are. They're someone who lives on mission like a shepherd, investing in others, not out of obligation, but love. And that changes everything. Listen, when we follow Jesus, we give him authority. And we no longer live, but, but he lives in us and we live for him. And we use our influence as shepherds. And there's really nothing more important or impactful in this life than to live as a follower who functions as a shepherd who's truly a multiplier. And that is God's purpose for you. But you've got to live into it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people, to look at your word, to talk about the concept of fan to follower. God, I thank you that you have not been so impatient with us that you've just pushed us aside and said, you're done, because it's taken so long for us to really get the mindset of living you first, others second, and us last to take the mindset of being not just a sheep, not one who wanders, but a shepherd who has given you authority, who receives authority from you and uses that authority and influence for your glory. Father, you have positioned each one of us in places and relationships to make a difference. We each have influence that we can use, how we relate to that, our boss, how we relate to our spouse, to our children, to our neighbor. Each of those are moments where we can invest our influence in a way that brings you honor and glory. And I pray, Father, as we continue to just sit before you, as we continue in worship, as we spend time together as a church family, I pray, Father, that you would speak. I pray, Father, that you would show us our next step in that journey of becoming a multiplying disciple. May you be pleased and glorified with all we say and do. I absolutely love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.